born and he became this like prophet for eventually what would become Christianity and then at the age of 32 he died on the cross and it's like three days later he was resurrected we have a video on Jesus I believe that religion was just created to control the masses really Jesus is the our Lord and Savior that died on the cross for us for our sins Jesus is a uh person that existed that continues to enrich the lives of people every day. Jesus is God's son and he was sent to save our sins. I think he is a pretty cool guy. He had a, a peaceful philosophy. I think he's misinterpreted by a lot of people. He's the savior of this world. I don't know because I don't really believe in him so I don't really think anything of him. I, I mean he could have been a real person. I mean I'm sure he was. I mean I'm sure he was just you know good at what he did or something. I feel that Jesus is a modern-day scapegoat. Jesus is God, I think. Yeah, I just learned that. Uh, Jesus was a man, from what I figure. Who is Jesus? He was a dude. Lived back in the day. Pretty awesome. He had a beard. He was just kind of a guy with a really unique, positive message that kind of gave a lot of people a lot of hope. He probably existed, but I don't believe that he was the son of God or anything. He died on the cross for us and uh, saved us and rose again from the dead. That one didn't sound smart, but... Uh, maybe, you know, just a good guy. Um, those are the things that are out there. Um, nobody ever said, uh, kind of like in our passage right here, uh, nobody said uh, he's Elijah, uh, John the Baptist, uh, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. You know, that wasn't the response. But I think one thing we could take away from that is, listen, we can't know who Jesus really is by paying attention to the masses. Can't do that. Because even back then, from our passage, right, they didn't know. That's what the masses were saying. Well, Elijah, John the Baptist, you know, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. It's important to know what the masses are saying, for sure. Because you want to look into it and, you know, see what the deal is and what people are actually saying. And they want to measure it up to the word and see how all that relates. Um, But we can't really listen to the masses. And so that's why Jesus now, you know, gets personal about it. He gets present. Now, now what, do you, what do you say? Who do you say I am? Because this is the part that matters. I mean, you should pay attention to what's going on around you and what people are saying. You know, these people who are living you know, around and amongst. And as Jesus left, he says, Go, therefore, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, that's what he said before he left. He wasn't like, have a great time, you know, make sure you get good meals, you know, eat well, exercise. He was like, go out, make disciples, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we got to do. So that's the thing that takes priority. And so it's easier for us to do that, and we will carry more influence if we kind of understand the culture and the people around us a little bit better. There's a stat that came out. It says that almost 70% of young people between the ages of 18 to 30 leave the church. Almost 70% of young people between the ages of 18 and 30 leave the church between that time. And a very small percentage, I want to say 25%, end up coming back later after that. And I can tell you that uh, from working in a Christian school and seeing all these you know, young girls, young guys 
growing up in Sunday school, uh, being in the classroom, you know, they opened classes with prayer, and one of their classes, you know, was about the Bible, and going through all this stuff, and they'd have chapel, and they've had retreats. For many of them, um, that age, 18 to 30, when they go to college, they're finally on their own, and they're away from their parents and their family. They're sort of placed into the world now, and so now that question is very pertinent to them. Who do you say I am? Because up until that time, for some of them, not all of them, but for some of them, they've just been told kind of who he is and just kind of went with it and embraced everybody was telling them. But now that they're on their own, I don't really know, you know, exactly who he is. And unfortunately, there's uh, too many young people that kind of miss out during a very important time that God could be using for them. See, we said that faith in Christ has to become personal, not private. So nowhere in the Bible does it say we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, there's there's just no verse. But the idea and the concept is there. And there's many passages that show that, just like the one, you know, we're talking about today, where it's one-on-one. Who do you say I am? Like, what do you actually believe? So we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Even though there's that verse isn't there, the concept is there. And this relationship will flourish in the community of believers. And that's why I say it has to be personal but not private. So we just can't keep it to ourselves because God has gifted us with different gifts and abilities. And now the church and the body can actually function and flourish when we all bring it to the table, whatever we have. So that's the idea. So, well, I believe in Jesus and, you know, that's just it. Well, it's like, what? What kind of Jesus do you believe in? Like, which, which one is that one? The one that hangs up by himself and doesn't, like, interact with anybody and doesn't offer and serve of himself for other people for the greater good of the church? Which Jesus is that one? Right? So, like, we have to have good understanding of that. When people say that, like, in our brains, in our minds, a red flag should go off. Like, wow, that's not really the Jesus that I know of or the one that's in the Bible. You know, and then start asking questions and digging a little deeper. So that was the first observation. Faith in Christ has become personal, but not private. Here's a second observation. There is only one foundation that lasts. There's only one foundation that lasts. And here's the part where we get to talk about our our friends that are Catholic. There's only one foundation that lasts. And I don't say, you know, the term friend sarcastically, like, or in a negative way. In fact, this morning, I kid you not, this morning, good friend from work, uh, a deacon in the Catholic faith, he hardly ever texts me. Sometimes we go back and forth like, about messages that might be coming up because sometimes he teaches on Sundays on like a rotation. Um, so he texts me this morning, you know, he's like, uh, you know, I'm praying for you, hope it goes well, I know the Spirit will use you. You know what I mean? So I, I say friends like, like lovingly, you know, because, you know, I do love that guy. I just hope his eyes maybe become a little bit more open, you know, to what's really going on. So there is only one foundation that lasts. What am I talking about? Well, we already talked about the first usage of the term church in the Bible. We just saw it. Ecclesia. And it just means assembly or gathering. So when we're talking about church, it just means a gathering, you know, really of people. Um, and it's different than a club, because a club could gather too. We could have a club. The idea of a church is that the Holy Spirit is there and there's some sort of power and that he's moving. And when that doesn't happen, we just have like a holy huddle, some kind of Christian club, and it's just got to start to reevaluate it. So, let's see what's going on here. So let's take a look at the interaction um, between him and Peter so we can take a look at it a little bit more. So after Peter gives the perfect answer, 
He says, you're the son, verse 16, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And so here's the verse, right, for the first pope. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, uh, first thing we have to do is just kind of get a better understanding. Because if you read it right there, it certainly does seem like, man, Peter just got given uh, something amazing. It looked like he really did just get given the church. It just looked there right there. He says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. So, let's take a look. A couple of words here. Peter, right? So, Peter is the guy, when Jesus met him, he has a brother, Andrew. So, when they, they hooked up and they met Jesus, he told him, hey, throw that, you know, and then the other side. They caught this amazing, you know, catch. And Jesus says, you think that's amazing? You come, you know, follow me. Come roll with me now, and I'm going to make you, you know, fishers of men. And he renamed him. He calls him Cephas. Cephas. It means little stone. Little rock. And now we have this term, rock. So if you take a look at it again, it says, verse 18, he says, And I tell you that you are Peter, or Cephas, or an original Greek language, Petros, and on this rock, right? So we have two terms, right? And on this rock, and there's a different word for that rock there in Greek. It's a totally different word. So Peter was the Petros, and on this rock was Petra. Totally different word with two totally different meanings. So Petros is like a little stone, like a little rock, like Cephas, right? Like he named him. But then Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. Not the same Petros like Peter, but on like a huge stone, just a massive stone, like a cornerstone. Two totally different terms. So what is Jesus talking on this rock? I will build my. What, what is this other stone? What is this huge rock he's going to build the church on? Because it doesn't seem like it's Peter. So he's going to build it on, and this is where you know different scholars you know think different things, and so they think that is either the confession that Peter made. So on that confession of faith, you are you are God, you are Christ, you're the Messiah. So on that rock right there, that confession, I'm going to build my church. You know, which maybe. Or, some other Bible scholars think, hey, on the rock, on Jesus, who is the cornerstone, the rock of the church. And depending on, you know, what you read and what you see, it's usually split between the two. But certainly Catholics see it as, hey, listen, he told Peter right there he is the rock of the church. And what they say, the reasoning for that is, okay, listen, I'll go with that Petros, Petra thing. And they say, well, the language differs because stylistically, it doesn't really matter. That's what they say. And they also say in Aramaic, there's a word for stone that doesn't have a different connotation of smaller or bigger. See, the only problem is it's not written in Aramaic. It was written in Greek. And so that's the part like, where there's a hang-up. And so that's why uh, there can be difficulty there. And if you dig even a little bit deeper, this term Petra for big stone, like this large thing, it's only used four times in the New Testament. Every single time, it's used... Uh, in the sense of like a large stone, a large mass of a stone. And it's only used four times. 
But if you dig even deeper than that, so in Ephesians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3, right, just take a look at some of this. It says, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Peter's not the cornerstone, right? The new Pope Francis, he's not the cornerstone. He's just sort of a guy in line. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation, like, it was never intended for a man to be the foundation and leader of a church. Never. And never in the Bible was that ever even suggested. There's a period of times, like in the Old Testament, where maybe you had a guy like Moses, maybe like Elijah, Elisha, maybe in time of Judges, where you kind of had like this one person who was sort of like the prophet and the leader for an entire nation. But come New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes, it was never the idea to have sort of one man run the show and it's like, you know, Apostle Jared gets the word and then he just like sprinkles it out and gives it to everybody else. Like that wasn't, the idea wasn't the plan. And Peter himself even says it, believe it or not. Peter himself even says it. He refers to himself in his own book that he wrote, which uh, should come up here. Peter refers Peter himself states who he really is and what his position really is. He never says like, you know, I'm the first pope, you know, I'm the guy the church will be built on. He says, you know what, I'm an apostle, I'm an elder, and I'm a servant. I don't know why I capitalized servant there, but I'm an apostle, I'm an elder, and I'm a servant. Like he said that about himself. I'm not the guy who the church, you know, should be built on. And it's very interesting, you know, as far as, you know, the pope goes, and so, you know, Pope Francis, you know, is the new guy now, and you know, he was born Jorge, you know, George, you know, that's really what his name, and, you know, and then when they take, you know, the papacy, um, they change their names, you know, like Jesus changed his name based on a new calling, and, and, you know, now the way it works is they change their own name because they've been voted in, and there's just like all these weird things, and eventually they can um, make a certain statement or declaration and invoke St. Peter's sort of call and uh, apostleship and uh, lay down a teaching or whatever they want to do. That's just not really the intent and what God really had in mind. It's just not it. It's not biblical. It'd be a lot easier if we could just sort of give it to one person and give them all leader, leadership and authority and sort of control people that way. It'd certainly be easier, but that's just not really the goal. Like, I hope that, uh, you know, God continues to grow this church. I hope that I'm sort of not the guy that does like a bunch of stuff. I hope I'm just, you know, uh, uh, one of the pastors that, like, helps, like, cast some vision and does some teaching and does some marriages and funerals, but by no means, like, playing center role. I'm hoping and praying and asking God to bring other people around me, like, you know, other men around me, to also teach, to also do some marriages, to do some funerals, to help, you know, refine the vision together. Because that's the New Testament model. These guys in the early church, when they first started the church, it was all teams. It was teams. Now, when God was talking with Peter, or when Jesus, who is God incarnate, was talking with Peter, you know, he says he gave him the keys of the kingdom. Um, he said he could bind and loose things. And he was certainly given some authority. And when we studied the book of Acts, when we were in the Elks Lodge, and breathing in the smoke, and smelling the kegs of beer that spilled on the floor... Um, and we were going through, you know, the book of Acts there. We looked at Peter, and he played a huge role in the early church. They were in a room, 120 people. And they were there just praying. Because Jesus told them, hey, listen, when I leave, you know, just hang out, pray, wait for my promise. 
What was the promise? I don't know. Just hang out and, and, and pray and wait. And so that's what they did. And eventually, the promise, the Holy Spirit comes. And so now they're in this room, and people are falling down and talking in other languages, and it's very chaotic and very strange. In fact, other people saw it, and they're like, what the heck? They're not praying. They're all drinking together. Like, I didn't tell you, you know, to, to, to be drinking together. What's going on? And so Peter steps up. Peter. He steps up and he tells them, hey, listen, when the prophet Joel wrote down that, you know, your sons and daughters will prophesy uh, dreams and dream dreams and see visions and I'll pour my spirit on them. He's like, just busts out the scripture and just explains all of it. And he plays a huge role in the early church as far as bringing the Holy Spirit, you know, to his own Jews. And he brought it to the Samaritans and then he brought it to the Gentiles. And so he had the keys to the kingdom. Not necessarily that he's going to let people in and out. That's like all the jokes, you know. So St. Peter, you know, at the pearly gates, you know, letting people in and out. That's not exactly the case. He had the keys to the kingdom of the church that opened it up outside of the Jews. So he brought it to the Jews, brought it to Samaritan, and they actually brought it to the Gentiles. So he played a huge role. But nowhere near like this thing as far as a Pope, a father overall. That, that's, we're not going to find that there. But Peter, so why do you even talk about that? Why even look at that? Well, one, I think it's important because we live in Naugatuck, and I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, hugely Portuguese town, hugely Catholic town, right? Hugely Catholic town. And I'm not saying, like, they're bad people at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, let's get them to know Jesus, the true cornerstone. Anytime we set up a person where it's like, has to be a mediator between them and God, I think is very dangerous. You want to be very, very careful. And with me also saying that, I also say, I think there's some people in a Catholic church that would be going to heaven where there might be some people in a non-denominational evangelical church that maybe wouldn't make it to heaven. It depends on like, what's going on between them and God because this is personal. Who do you say I am? Who do you say? Not who you're hanging around with and what are they saying. Like, who do you say that I am? See, Peter was blessed and was now going to enter his potential that God saw all stemming from his authentic faith. Right? Peter was blessed because of his faith and his being explained, uh, his potential and plan that God saw and created him for. See, this is the awesome part about it. Like, Peter was just a normal guy. And Jesus said, you are blessed because of what you said. Now, listen, I'm going to give you a sneak peek, just a quick preview of what's really in store for you. And he never would have saw it if he was just regular Peter. See, when Jesus renamed him Cephas, he knew what he was doing. And he saw what he created Peter for. And when he sees and looks at Jared, he sees and knows what he created Jared for. And when he sees and created you, he knows what he created you for. And it's up to us to take that step of faith where we say, okay, I believe you are God. I believe you are Jesus. I believe you are the Messiah. If that's really true, you're going to go towards that potential of what he created you for. That's the good news about it. It's not like Peter was just like just this awesome, amazing person that Jesus, that God just chose because, you know, he's just so great. Or Mary was just so great. He just chooses who he chooses. And there's just grace on each of us. In fact, Peter himself, when he writes in 1 Peter, he calls all of us living stones of the church. We're all like these living stones if we abide in Christ, just these living stones. 
Jaron, uh, you know, he, right now, like, his big thing is uh, balls. You know, ball, ball, ball. Like, everything's a ball. It's just like, that's his deal. And um, that's just all he knows. He's consumed with it. He likes it. He has fun with it. Duchess will play with him with that. He could throw it. You know, he does everything. So, you know, I open the fridge and, you know, the blueberry is a ball. You know, he's just a strawberry. It's a ball. You know, on the counter, he got an apple. It's a ball. You know, he just wants it. And... So, you know, orange, you know, he had an orange the other day. You know, ball, ball. You know, as far as Jaron is concerned, he looks at that orange, you know what I mean? And that's like the perfect size for his little hand. You know, he can take it, he can chuck it pretty far. It's got a little bit of weight, so it could do some damage. But as far as he's concerned, that has all of the purpose that he needs, that orange right there. That is perfect. That is it right there. That's a ball. It doesn't get much better than a ball because that's the best that he knows. That's a ball. That is fun. You can throw it. You can destroy things. Little does he know, right? Little does he know that that ball could be used for a ball, but it also could be used to feed our bodies, to give us nutrients, to build our immune system, to help us function, to build us up. It plays like a crucial role. Vitamin C is huge for us. It helps build our immunity. actually strengthens us to fight other things off. But all he knows is ball. That's just what he knows. So I know it's just ball, 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 ball. That's fun for me. That's good enough for me. I like it. And as far as like we go with God and Jesus, he's like, well, you're just Jared. Like, you know, you're just Jared. You know, tall, goofy looking guy, you know, who, you know, gets along with a few people and whatever. But no, there's just so much more to this that Jesus and God can see the function of what he brought out of this thing, because that orange can do so much more than be a ball. So much more. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's natural for it to be that way. It doesn't have, you have to try to be like that. And we shouldn't think for a moment or for a minute that maybe sometimes, you know, we're just not like, eh, I'm just a ball, you know, whatever. It's pretty cool. It's kind of fun. I can enjoy it for a while. When there's a whole other plan, a whole other life in store for us that hinges on our faith. How much we actually believe, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? So a couple closing thoughts. You know, for those of us uh, that believe in Jesus as the Messiah, are we sending mixed messages with what we say and do? Because if we do say, oh yeah, absolutely, Messiah, Son of God. Hopefully we aren't sending mixed messages to those around us. And none of us, I'm not saying perfect messages, I'm saying mixed messages. I believe and confess, you know, God is who he says he is and, you know, he's the Lord of my life and hopefully it all matches up for the most part. If Jesus is correct, all of our eternity hinges on what we think about Jesus. And so what we want to do is we want to build our foundation on Jesus, the one real true rock. That's what we want to do. And our confession and our walks of faith, it can unlock the potential that God has for us. And I think that's the awesome news about it. And so what we'll do is we're just going to close with one song and then we'll...